Art of Parenting, a podcast dedicated to creating a supportive community for new parents. I'm your host, Nikki Rishi, and today we have a special episode focusing on newborn nutrition. Join me as an incredible woman comes to us sharing her passion for supporting moms on their wellness journey. Kristen, a pediatric registered dietitian and certified lactation counselor from Florida, has a deep passion for pediatric gut health. She specializes in helping moms that breastfeed and optimize their diets for baby's digestion, managing infant reflux, fussiness, and food sensitivities. Her holistic approach focuses on identifying root causes to nurture happy tummies in babies and children, guiding them towards becoming healthy, confident eaters. Join us as Kristen shares her insights on nourishing the next generation. Welcome, Kristen. So glad to have you on our episode today. Thank you so much for having me. Let's get started right away. Um, Why don't we start with exploring the challenges and strategies for breastfeeding mothers dealing with common infant food allergies? We get that question quite a bit. Yes, we certainly do as, you know, in my dietetic practice. Um, One of the most common that I do see is cow's milk protein allergy or CMPA. Um, It actually affects two to seven and a half percent of babies worldwide. So it's pretty prevalent. Um, Some of those first common symptoms that we do see is um, that frequent spit up, constipation. Um, We might see bloody stools. Um, atopic dermatitis or eczema is a super common one that we see with it. And also wheezing, um, you know, just shortness of breath and just not able to um, breathe as well. Um, So of course, with that, some of the challenges of a breastfeeding mother might feel um, is guilt. They might feel that their milk is not quite like good enough or nutrition enough. They might feel like it's their fault for causing their baby's discomfort. And it can be extremely discouraging for mom. Another common challenge that we see um, is just not knowing if it's actually the breast milk that's causing these issues or if it's something environmental like a viral infection or, you know, just like environmental allergies, um, an illness, something like that. Um, However, if if we do suspect it is the cow's milk protein allergy, we do want to encourage moms to continue breastfeeding. Um, no matter what, like their breast milk remains a valuable source of nutrition and is so comforting for the baby. Um, So some of the strategies to alleviate some of these symptoms would be an elimination diet, um, which in itself is challenging. And, you know, we kind of monitor for signs of improvement with that. There's um, specific protocols that we can follow, but it's, you know, it, it takes a lot of time and a lot of effort to go ahead and, and go through this elimination diet. And so if that is the case, if a mom is going through, you know, an elimination diet, they might find it challenging in, for themselves to find foods to consume and keep her diet as balanced and nutritious as possible. Mm-hmm. So one of these common challenges that arise in maintaining a balanced and nutritious diet for themselves is this elimination diet, which often involves cutting out specific foods that may be those potential allergens. So this leaves mothers at risk for nutrition um, deficiencies, um, not only for them, but for their babies as well. So it is crucial during this time for mothers to incorporate um, alternative sources of nutrients. So for example, um, 
you know, we can incorporate more or different types of fruits and veggies, different whole grains. And we certainly want to include a calcium fortified alternative. In some other circumstances, we do need extra supplementation such as calcium or vitamin D. Okay. And then how are we, how do we envision if all of that is not working, right? Of course, breast is best is what we hear. And uh, moms are trying everything under the sun. Um, but it's, it's something that is not working for the baby and they have chosen the formula route. Is there any sense into how they can choose that appropriately? What nutritional needs and health factors they should consider? Um, let, you know, let's take a deep dive into how to choose the formula since we've talked about breastfeeding a little bit as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So you know, with, with the formulas out there, there are a ton. It is an absolute huge market. Um, whether a mom is breastfeeding or not, I typically recommend to start with your basic cow's milk-based formula, um, whether that's a term formula or a preterm formula. Those preterm formulas do have special nutrients in them for the preterm baby, such as higher amounts of protein and calcium and phosphorus. Um, for bone development. So we start with that. If we see some reflux symptoms or some colicky fussy symptoms with that, our first line of treatment might be to try um, a different formula, still one that's um, cow's milk based, but we might try like a spit up formula that has added rice starch to it. Um, it's a pretty you know low risk alternative to cutting out dairy altogether. An example of that would be Enfamil AR. Um, we also have some lactose or reduced lactose formulas, such as Gentilese or any of those labeled sensitive formulas. A new recent one that has been coming out a lot is goat's milk formula. Mm. Um, it has recently been um, approved by the American Academy of Pediatrics over here in the States. So that's pretty new and super popular right now. Um, however, it's not suitable for that cow's milk protein allergy um, because those proteins are so similar. And then going into like, if we do have a confirmed allergy, we might want to try a partially hydrolyzed formula. So this still contains the cow's milk proteins, but they've been partially hydrolyzed or broken down. So it's much easier to digest. And some of those popular ones on the market are Nutramagen, Alimentum. Yeah, those are the two most popular ones. And also Gerber Extensive HA, that's another one. So those are like the partially hydrolyzed ones. And then if we do have even like severe allergies or malabsorption, still having bloody stools, then we do what's called an extensively hydrolyzed formula or an amino acid-based formula. So these ones are completely hypoallergenic or the proteins are completely broken down into that amino acid form. So super easy to digest, super easy to absorb. And that's pretty much like the most medically um, like indicated formula on the market. Um, and a lot of times you do need a prescription for those. And that would be like your Elecare formula, your Pyramino or Alpamino formula. Interesting. Um, and we also mm -hmm. hear quite a bit between the distinction of European brands versus American, right? Most of the ones that you mentioned, are they more American based? Is there a distinction in, in someone choosing Holly, for example? I used to hear about that a lot. Um, that's European based um, versus something from made in America. Can we talk about that a little bit? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So one of the like one of the things that the FDA does look at are is the nutrients in in the formula that they're allowed to produce and sell on the shelves. Um, so all formula 
uh, in the United States, it must have iron added to it. Not all formulas do. So some of those like, you know, out of country formulas, they might not have iron. And we know, you know, iron is such an important nutrient for newborns and especially as they get a little bit older and their iron stores start to deplete. And they also are required to have 30 nutrients that your baby needs. So they're, they're all fortified where some of these European Australian formulas, they might not have the same fortification standards that America does. Got it. Okay. So something to obviously be always aware of um, when picking formulas in distinction. Gosh, didn't know that there was that many options. So of course, consult with your pediatrician <laughs> and yeah. before choosing the appropriate one and making the decision. We talked about something interesting um, in the beginning, right? We talked about the concept of spit up and allergies. So I want to go back to that um, as well. It's so scary. Um, you know, of course, with babies, it's spit up. With toddlers, it's that reflex <laughs> uh, when, mm -hmm. when they're eating. Uh, but right now we're focusing on babies. So help us understand why babies spit up and then how can parents differentiate between normal behavior and potential health concerns? Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, absolutely. So, you know, we, we of course hear of babies spitting up, happy spitters, all of that, but there is a common <laughs> physiological sign of why babies spit up. And usually it's not a concern, but it is because of their immune digestive tract or digestive system. So the lower that lower esophageal sphincter, which is what separates the esophagus from the stomach, it's not fully developed. So it's much easier for the stomach contents to come back up. So, you know, with that, it's typically not a concern. Some other non-physiological signs of spit up that also aren't aren't much of a concern is, you know, if you're lying down right after a feed, um, if you're moving around too much, such as, you know, putting down, you know, getting down for tummy time right after a feed, um, if we're feeding too quickly, or if the baby consumes too much milk in that feeding, it could just, you know, be too much for the stomach to handle at, at that time. And again, come back up as spit up. So those are the non, you know, concerning signs. But if we are seeing that more like projectile, that forceful spit up, you know, you hear it's like going across the room, it's shot out, it's, you know, coming out of their nose. Um, you know, they're irritable. Um, we see like the back arching a lot, um, distended abdomen. Sometimes this leads to poor weight gain. Constipation is another one that goes hand in hand. These are all some of those concerning signs. So something that we'd want to dive into a little bit deeper, um, probably address, you know, address this with the pediatrician. And that could include like what we mentioned before, it could be an allergy to a food, it could be cow's milk, it could be something else. It also could be something more serious, such as pyloric stenosis, and which that's where, you know, if we see like that curdled acidic milk coming up. Um, so those would obviously have to be addressed by a pediatrician and probably another, you know, some other specialists on board. Of course, this all sounds it's kind of related to digestive health. Um, so let's switch over to digestion and understanding our infant's gut health a little bit, right? Gut is so important. What do you consider are the key factors uh, that a mom should know is affecting a baby's digestive health? And how can parents support infant's gut health from birth? Yeah, I'm so glad you asked that. Gut health, pediatric gut health is my specialty. It's my area of expertise. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm so glad you asked that. 
but it actually starts um, before birth during the pregnancy. So of course we want pregnant mamas to have, you know, a balanced, well-diverse diet. That's kind of a given that helps with everything. We also want mama to stay healthy. So they don't have to take antibiotics. We want to try to avoid those antibiotics at all costs. Um, it just kind of like di disrupts the balance of the good and bad bacteria in the gut. And then once it is time to give birth, we want to try to opt for that vaginal birth versus um, C-section, mm -hmm. like at all costs. That we know it brings the baby in contact with um, the mom's bacteria as the baby exits through the birth canal. So that directly you know, kickstarts the gut colonization of the baby. After birth, we want to, you know, if we can, if possible, initiate breastfeeding as soon as possible. You know, we know breast milk provides like the pre and the probiotics, um, the human milk oligosaccharides or the HMOs, which is a natural prebiotic. Um, so that helps promote the growth of good bacteria in the gut. Um, we also know breastfeeding supports immune function. If unable to breastfeed, um, we still want to initiate that skin-to-skin -skin contact right after birth because, um, again, that passes back and forth the bacteria, which, again, is building that immunity and um, colonizing the gut. And also, um, dads can get involved with the skin-to-skin -skin as well. So, you know, even if, if we're not breastfeeding, breastfeeding, we still want to do that um, skin to skin right after birth. And also don't worry if you can't breastfeed, um, like we talked about, there's so many formulas out there on the market. Um, most of them nowadays do have the pre and the probiotics, the HMOs. Um, so they've really come a long way. You know, I, I would love to talk about this um, vaginal versus C-section concept, because just like breast versus formula, it is a little bit of a contrarian topic to discuss, um, right? Mm -hmm. Of course, there are instances where the mom has no control, um, myself included, you know, with the twin birth, um, right. we had to make the option, uh, we had to opt for C-section. Um, and interestingly enough, you know, doctor's office didn't really push much for vaginal birth and talk much about the microbiome and the gut health and all of the impact. So. Uh, I'm very curious to learn from you, since you're an expert in that, if it is C-section, what can moms do to get back to the baby, give back to the baby, and then also get back to normal for themselves, right? Um, with the depletion of the whole process, through the whole journey um, of the gut microbiome mm -hmm. that's important. So let's say if a mom has to go through C-section, are there tips and pointers of what she should be doing with the baby to get that stage of healthy gut microbiome back to normal for them? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So it is very important for, you know, moms to have that birth plan in place, whether it's a planned C-section, let your doctors, your nurses know that, hey, I do want to breastfeed, like this is my plan. You know, if baby has to get taken away to the nursery, like please don't, you know, provide a bottle they are able to bring the baby back in and do that skin to skin contact like right after a c-section you know like still kind of on the operating table like they can still do that um let the nurses know that you do want to breastfeed and therefore you know they're not going to take the baby away and give them a bottle of formula um so just having that plan in place can really help alleviate some of some of those and then also probably prior to that during your pregnancy just have those conversations with your OBGYN and you know if it's not absolutely necessary or you know indicated to have a c-section like mm -hmm. you know see if, if it is possible to 
to have that vaginal birth. Fantastic. Well, I'm so glad to have learned all of this from you today. And I'm sure our audience feels supported as well. Any other key takeaways or learnings um, that we did not discuss today that Kristen you'd like to relay? Um, well, I did have on here to discuss also, um, since we're talking about infant feeding, like some other ways to improve digestive health and gut health as we're introducing solids as well. Um, so if it's okay, if I can just touch on that for a, a minute or so. I think we absolutely should. Sorry, I might have to okay. cut you off before. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's perfectly okay. That's perfectly okay. Yeah, because with that, you know, we want to make sure that it's the right time that we do start those solids. We we do see a lot of moms that want like eagerly want to start and we don't want it to be too early and we also don't want it to be too late. So if it's too early, we might see some of that, you know, they might not be able to digest it or break it down. So with that, we'll see more of like the um, gas, the vomiting, the spit it up if it's too early. Mm-hmm. And if it's too late, um, then we're missing out on that window of opportunity to introduce those um, early allergenic foods. We also want to do or introduce foods in a gradual manner because that contributes to the development of the baby's digestive system. So don't go ahead and do like, you know, five foods at once. We want to do one food every couple of days just to help with the development. As they transition, we want to want to offer that variety. So once they do have a food within their routine, within their regimen, you know, just kind of build off of that. So that way we are building that diversity, um, which helps support growth and different bacteria in the gut. So overall contributing to a healthy and resilient digestive system. It also helps expand that variety. So when they're older, we see less of the picky eating, less of the food aversions. And then also um, trying to avoid that antibiotic use in infants as well. Um, if it's not necessary, like, you know, try to have that conversation with your pediatrician. And then also we just, I just want to touch on like what works for one baby might not work for everyone. So you just, you know, a lot of things are a little bit of trial and error, unfortunately, but just, just knowing that, you know, what works for one baby might not work for someone else. So it really is very individualized. I like we say, it, you know, there is no norm <laughs> when it yeah. comes to normalcy <laughs> as we yeah. talk about babies. Um, with that said, uh, thank you for all of the learnings that you shared with us today. Um, Kristen, it was uh, phenomenal to have you on our episode. Appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. As we wrap up this special episode of Miss Poppins, The Art of Parenting, we want to express our heartfelt gratitude to Kristen Goosh, our incredible lactation coach. And to our listeners, we hope you found today's discussion on tiny tummies mastering the essential of infant feeding helpful. Because feeding your infant is a journey that evolves with their growth and development. It's important for parents to stay informed, patient, and flexible, adapting to their baby's changing nutritional needs. Remember, the goal is not just to feed, but to nurture, ensuring your baby's health and happiness through each stage of their eating experiences. We encourage you to put into practice the strategies and advice shared by Kristen. And if you need further guidance, don't hesitate to reach out and download the Miss Poppins app, where you can connect with our team of experts, including nutrition, sleep, lactation, and many more coaches dedicated to helping you master the art of parenting. I am your host, Nikki Rishi, signing off. Thank you.